0: Welcome to Femboldened, a podcast where inspiration meets aligned action, where science meets spirit, and where you've landed to enliven the bold within you. I'm your host, Angelica Pascone, women's empowerment coach specializing in helping heart-centered high achievers like you shatter their personal and professional self-built glass ceilings. Get ready to awaken to your truest potential as we dive deep into the emboldened stories, wisdom, and medicine of our fellow sisters to energize you into living your bold. The question is, are you ready? Let's get started. Emboldened. Okay, friends, this episode of Emboldened is a pre-live recording on both Facebook and Instagram that was done last week. You'll be getting this in a few days. So yeah, it's fresh off the press for you all about the COVID vaccinations. You have gotten to know me over the last 14 episodes. Here's episode 15 for you. And you know that While I am very much spirit led and heart led, I am also equally as grounded by science. With so much misinformation circulating on our social media platforms regarding Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, I really felt this profound obligation to share what evidence based research is myth bust some of the rumors going around using evidence and really do my part to educate those who did not get the same education I did so that we can move forward as a community and take care of each other. Listen in if you wanna learn how the vaccines work, why it's crucial to get one, and like I said, debunk some of the myths around it. Some of the questions I'll be addressing include, what are the ingredients in the vaccines? What do some of those scientific words you see in those ingredients actually mean? Do the vaccines alter your DNA? How those vaccines work or their mechanism of action? Do the vaccines cause infertility? Can you be microchipped with one of these vaccines? I'll also be addressing herd immunity and why we can't do quote unquote natural herd immunity instead of mass vaccinations. I also spend quite a bit of time in this live talking about risk versus benefit, biases that we have as humans that make it difficult to trust evidence-based medicine versus our experience or experiences that we see in front of us. And you'll walk away with not only all of that information But I'll also be teaching you how to determine whether or not what you're reading in front of you is a reputable resource. We'll be diving into how to know whether or not that thing you see on Instagram came from somebody just talking into the ethers (laughs) or from data. I hope that you enjoy this really valuable, really informational, and honestly, quite fun. (laughs) Definitely my personality shined through this live episode for you, for our community, for the health of everyone. If you have any questions, please, I'm open to them. Send me an email, angelica at angelicapascone.com. Also available on Instagram and Facebook. If we're not connected, you can certainly connect with me there thank you so much. I hope, I hope this gives you the reassurance that you need if you're somebody who's on the fence and also makes you more interested in diving more into your own evidence-based research. Awesome. All right, everyone, welcome again. Um, hello, hello. I'm just going to hop right into it and get started. I have, if you are watching me on Facebook right now, I have put in the description my work cited so if at any point you want to take a peek read along it's all there for you Instagram watchers if you want to follow along on my work cited um, the evidence I'm about to give you please do so um, following the link in my bio I put it right in my my link tree so it's right there for if you want to follow along although I'm sure that would be kind of difficult on Instagram anyways this Live is about the COVID vaccines. I have a, I'll get into it in a little bit, but I have a very unique background and I have felt super responsible and had a profound sense of obligation for speaking to the vaccines and their importance. And um, anyway, science grounded, spirit led, that's who I am. You'll learn more about that. This live is meant for those people who are on the fence. Those who think they want the vaccine, but maybe you're seeing misinformation out there and wanna know what's misinformation, what's true, what isn't. I don't know anything anymore, I'm getting confused. This is meant to set the record straight for you. And also you will also leave with ways to find your own evidence, reputable resources. I'm gonna teach you how to find reputable resources and how to find out if what you're watching, if what you're seeing is a reputable resource. Okay. I'm going to ask few ground rules here. I'm going to ask that any comments be kept kind. This is not a place for hecklers, for hasslers, for arguments. I will actually not be looking at the comments from here on out. It's a little distracting and I want to stay with this. I will address comments and questions post live at my discretion. Okay, so today is meant to... Oh, let me back up. So I'm Angelica. (laughs) For those of you who don't know me, I have a background as a physician assistant. I keep my certification and my license current. I have experience in primary care, in sleep medicine, and actually in integrative medicine. So if you're not familiar with the word integrative medicine, it is a place where individuals can go to not only get Western-based medicine and medications therapies, but can also receive alternative therapies. So I would recommend Reiki, I would recommend essential oils, but I would also give out antibiotics. So really both worlds, which my heart of hearts tells me that both worlds can coexist and actually complement the other when used properly. With my science degree, I have my master's and as a physician, I have a master's also in liberal studies with a concentration in the natural sciences, which Actually, I had to do my own had to do my, my own research and didn't get to publish it, but I wrote my own master's thesis, did all my own statistics, all of that stuff. All right, within my science background, I have taken, I had to count, I had to think back just now. I had to take six research methods courses, one of which I taught. So I am really, really quite good at not only vetting sources um determining which ones are reputable but reading them at that all those statistical analyses you see fisher's exact two ap cited i've done them i know how to do them and it's not easy so that being said i am also reiki certified eft certified i read the akashic records i am a life coach i had a home birth (laughs) i ate my placenta i am delaying my vaccination not my vaccination i'm delaying the vaccination schedule of my son everything i do every big decision that i make is evidence-based do i love smudging yes do i love essential oils Uh uh-huh all the big decisions i make again are evidence-based including those decisions i have for my son so i hope to impart this knowledge on you today i also want to share that Personally, I have had many tragedies in my life. So, I mean, I'm talking like weird stuff, house fires, and I've been in an amusement park accident, car accidents. We lost two pools when I was a kid, like really weird shit. So I respect risk taking. I understand risk versus benefit on a personal level. And we'll go through risk benefit in the future. Today is meant to serve as a basic overview. I'm going to touch cell biology. I'm going to touch a little bit of mechanism of action of the vaccines. I'm going to touch pharmacology a little bit. I cannot possibly give you eight years of science education in one hour, and I'm gonna try to keep it to one hour. I know I've been talking for seven already, so points given away to Gryffindor, um, or taken from Gryffindor. Today, we're going to go over Vaccine ingredients, what those ingredients are, why are they in there, how they work, how the vaccines work, what we call their mechanism of action. Fertility in the vaccine, do the vaccines affect fertility? What evidence do we have enlightening that question? Microchipping, what can we say about that? Herd immunity, what the frick is it? Why do we call ourselves cows? And how we achieve herd immunity? Like I said, we're gonna talk about risk versus benefit. We're just gonna touch on that a little bit and how getting your vaccine is really a case of risk versus benefit for you personally and for the population as a whole, herd immunity. Then we're also going to talk about types of biases. I'm gonna push you through self-forgiveness because yes, this vaccine is very heated. It's, It's a hot topic. There is freedom of choice currently but we need to talk about how our biases impact others and have the ripple effect on others. And like I said, I am going to teach you how to find and vet your own sources. So many people have been sending me screenshots. So many people have been sending me podcast episodes, documentaries, videos. Those are not evidence-based resources. So I'm gonna teach you how to find them, what counts, and maybe if we have a little bit of time, I'll teach you how to read scientific articles. That would be fun. Okay, awesome. So I've got my little whiteboard here. We are going to have a little bit of cell biology and from here on out, guys, I I'm, I'm, I apologize. I am not gonna pay attention to the comments just because I wanna keep it, keep it short and to the point. So let's go back to cell biology. All right, so I am going to draw a cell for you. We are going to draw the nucleus, right? We all know what the nucleus is. That's where DNA is housed. And I'm gonna draw something outside of the nucleus called a ribosome. This is where DNA is, and this is a ribosome. Okay, so I'll show you a quick picture, and then I'm gonna draw another one. This is for my Facebook people, for my Instagram people. Instagram does things backwards, so I'm sorry, but here's the nucleus, and that's where DNA is, and here are the ribosomes. Do you remember what ribosomes do? They make proteins. Do you remember why we need proteins? Because they do everything in our body. We need proteins to survive, to live. Okay, cool, awesome. Going back, we're gonna zoom in on what's called the cell membrane, right where I did my little square there, okay? What does a cell membrane look like? And this is super oversimplified because if I wanted to spend three hours on the cell membrane, it could, I took cell biology in college. The microscopes on a Friday morning were tough my senior year. Okay, so inside of that cell membrane is what's called a phospholipid bilayer. So it's made up of hydrophilic, meaning water-loving heads right outside of the cell and inside the cell. And those little tail things, those are called, they're fatty acids, all right? So, and they are hydrophobic, right, afraid of water. So they tend to make this the shape. The whole membrane is composed of this phospholipid bilayer. It protects the cell. It makes sure certain things get in and certain things don't get in. At least that's its basic form. Certain things that can get in and out often need to be accompanied by some sort of buffer. And we'll talk about buffers in a second. Say Something like, let's say, sugar, right? Cells love sugar. I love sugar. Sugar is going to be easily passable through the phospholipid bilayer. There may be sugar in the vaccine. So we got it? Awesome? Cool. All right, so, Angelica, we talked about how important proteins are. Do we just get it for meat or do we make them? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. We make them. We make them too. Mm-hmm. So how do we make them? Put it simply, yeah, we get a message to our DNA, and this can be a whole other topic, that says we need to make a protein to serve this purpose. DNA says, okay, it unzips with the proper enzymes. Unzips, because remember, DNA, this isn't very important for our topic today, but I'm not gonna do a very good job, right? DNA's like this this cool little spindle thingy. So it unzips and then it's got, remember those A, T, C, G back in, in biology? So you get the A and the T and the C and the G and maybe another T and an A over here, those codes. Mr. mRNA, oh wait, mRNA sounds familiar, this is important. mRNA comes over and says, ooh, I'm going to make a copy of this portion of the DNA that has the code for the protein we need to make. It's sort of like the best metaphor I can come up with right now, or analogy, is when you go to a restaurant. The DNA is the menu. You get to pick what protein you want. Do you want steak? Do you want chicken? Maybe shark is on the menu today. You pick your protein, right, from the DNA, mRNA. The waiter comes over and says, oh, I see you are picking from our filet mignon and your sides will be mashed potato and vegetable. So the mRNA goes outside of the DNA, outside of, excuse me, outside of the the nucleus, and heads over to the ribosome, AKA protein station, right? AKA the kitchen, talks to the chefs, and says, hey chef, Table number 11 wants a filet mignon with potatoes and the the seasonal vegetable of the day. And the ribosome, the chef says, sure thing. Here it is, here's your protein. That's how that works. Cool, awesome. Okay, so super simplified version of what's going on in your body. Way more, way more, but this is what you need to know for now. So, does Pfizer, does Moderna, do they change your DNA? Because I have seen that rumor being spread. It is a very bad high school rumor. Here's a little bit about COVID first. And you've heard this before. So here's COVID. And this is any virus, by the way. It's got something called spike proteins. <laughs> virus. Virus, ah, uh, here it comes, right? Okay. These things are called spike proteins. Wait a second, we just learned about how proteins are made. Cool. What if there was a way for us to teach our immune system how to make a certain protein that is viral without being exposed to the virus? Ooh, we can, in a few different ways, but we're gonna cover two today. So the mRNA, Vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, they have created their own mRNA. So, mRNA being the weight staff, the weight staff is carrying the message to the chef, to the ribosome, right? So, the mRNA weight staff is carrying the protein, the order for the spike protein specific to COVID, into the cells. So, Moderna and Pfizer have mRNA in them. Remember, The mRNA typically leaves the nucleus, but if it's already existing, it does not need to be in the nucleus, right? So it's just, it's floating around the the cytoplasm until it reaches the ribosome. And what happens is the ribosome then makes the spike protein without having the virus itself. Does that make sense? We are using our bodies as a way to express the spike protein so that our immune system recognizes the spike protein. We are literally giving our bodies, it's sort of like if you're gonna send a search dog for somebody who's lost. You don't say, go find them. You give them their scent, right? So this, the mRNA vaccines are giving our immune system the scent. So that if we do end up having the COVID virus in our bodies, it's already prepped to find it, matches that scent. Cool, cool, awesome. All right, so let's go over ingredients because I've seen a lot of things about ingredients that I'm not too happy about. All right, Pfizer, mRNA, lipids. Why do we need lipids? Lipids, remember, are fatty acids, fats. If you're an adult and you've gotten a lipid panel, they look at your cholesterol, fats, okay? Lipids, why would we need them in a vaccine? It's actually to protect the mRNA because it's such, um, it requires such a, uh, it's very specific to its environment. It needs a very controlled environment, so it helps protect them. Potassium chloride, what the hell is that? Monobasic potassium phosphate. Sodium chloride, salt. Dibasic sodium phosphate dehydrate. Those are all what we call buffers, okay? Buffer means that it keeps what is inside the vaccine similar pH to that of your blood so that when you get the vaccine, it doesn't hurt like a mother so that it maintains the active ingredient, the mRNA, it keeps it stable in the case of sucrose which is also in the Pfizer vaccine, helps the active ingredient, the mRNA, get into the cell. Because remember, we have that phospholipid bilayer and not everything can get into the cell. So sucrose helps the mRNA travel. The lipids are kind of like its shell to keep it safe. And the buffers make it so it's not uncomfortable as fuck for you to get the vaccine. Okay. That's Pfizer. Moderna, believe it or not, looks very similar. Okay, mRNA. Cool. Awesome. Lipids. All right. That's right. It it protects. It protects the mRNA. Now, these are some weird words, Angelica. Tromethamine. Tromethamine hydrochloride. Acetic acid. Sodium acetate trihydrate. Guess what those are? Buffers. Other types of buffers. Cool. And you know what, these things exist in other things that our body has been exposed to. So that's helpful. Oh, and look, sucrose is also in Moderna just like it is in Pfizer, because we need, this vaccine would be totally useless if it did not have a way to pass through the phospholipid bilayer. So we attach sucrose to make that happen. So That's Pfizer and Moderna. J&J is a different story. J&J, Johnson & Johnson, They use a little bit older technology. So instead of introducing an mRNA or a protein making spike protein making dossier, they put the DNA of the virus within another virus that is typically not, I shouldn't say typically, it will always not be something our bodies would react to, but it has to be a virus that we have not yet been exposed to, because if we introduce a virus, if we introduce something to our bodies that we've already been exposed to, our immune system's gonna bash it, and then it won't have any chance to get into um, the DNA and viral producing, uh, spike producing things. So it's the same idea. We are using our cells to express parts of this virus using this J and J, modality. So very confusing. Let me back up a little bit. So in J&J, they're using a chimpanzee adenovirus, which is a common cold for chimpanzees. Likely you have not been exposed to chimpanzee adenovirus. So that's why they use it. So then your body has a way. So we've got adenovirus here and inside the adenovirus, we've got the COVID DNA. So this adenovirus, actually does invade our cells, doesn't really have an effect on us, and then goes through that same process. So when we do things like that, when we have Pfizer and Moderna and we have the mRNA, using the mechanism of action of mRNA, we're actually skipping a lot of steps. And when we need to get our boosters, which we will, I can save that, and that talk for another, another live J&J is going to have to come up with a whole new different virus for those who received the J&J, because now not only did you introduce this COVID DNA, but you you also introduced the adenovirus DNA, and our immune systems are going to be already on high alert for that. All right. Now we're going to talk about the J&J ingredients. I forget. Adenovirus expressing spike protein. Check. We just covered that. Citric acid monohydrate, trisodium citrate dihydrate, ethanol, I did not write this whole thing down, HBCD. It helps with solubility, okay? We talked about, well, we haven't talked about it yet, we'll talk about it soon, and polysorbate, okay? And sodium chloride, buffers, as you can imagine. Again, so it doesn't sting, it easily passes through into our cells okay how we doing we're doing good if you remember back in high school isotonic hypertonic hypotonic those buffers have a a role in that too happy to go into that in the comments if needed but ingredients check what is next we did a mechanism of action long story short they do not alter your DNA they cannot Cool. Awesome. What can actually, and there has been studies, is EFT. (laughs) So if you like tapping, but you're against the vaccine because it alters your DNA, actually the EFT does. And that is not a source I put in my work cited, but if you really want it, I'll go find it for you. Okay, cool. Moving right along. What's next? Fertility. So, So I found a few resources here. A lot of people are saying, saying, how can we know about fertility since there have not been any long-term studies? How can we know that it is affecting fertility without long-term studies? For men, I'm going to go over some, some ways in which COVID actually affects your fertility. And then I'll be diving into a study that I found as far as COVID vaccines not affecting fertility in women. Okay, so there was a great study in 2020. I shouldn't say study, it was a review of all the possible ways that COVID could actually affect male fertility. So remember our phospholipid bilayer, and I said it was very picky about what it lets in and what it lets out, kind of like mean girls. And you've got to have certain things, you've got to be hydrophilic in order to be let in, okay. Sometimes we need things to come in that are too big to go through the phospholipid bilayer. And sometimes we need things that aren't hydrophilic to go through the hydro to the, go through the phospholipid bilayer. So I'm gonna draw this phospholipid bilayer again. I'm gonna keep the cell because just in case I need to, you know, do that again. And we're gonna make the little lipid tails. There's our phospholipid bilayer part of the cell membrane. Sometimes we need bigger things to go in. So you remember receptors, occasionally there'd be some kind of channel, receptor or channel that bypasses that phospholipid bilayer and is very specific. Again, this is all basic stuff. I could do a whole nother lesson on it, but just gonna stick to this for now. When it comes to COVID specifically, this is how it gets into your body. There's a channel, a receptor called the ACE, 2 receptor. It is in the angiotensin cascade. Fancy word for part of the way your body controls your blood pressure. This receptor is what the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. There's a lot of coronaviruses, that is true. There's SARS-CoV-1, remember SARS there's mers Cove. remember MERS? We're talking about SARS-CoV-2 right now. This is how the spike protein. Goes. And what happens is that COVID goes into your cells this way through this receptor, into the DNA and hijacks your DNA so that your body becomes viral shedding. You're a giant walking COVID factory okay anyways those ace 2 receptors are not everywhere okay you can imagine they are in the places where blood pressure is worked on that's not a very good word i've been out mom brain okay things like kidneys so when you read these scientific articles it's interesting because a lot of the funding came from the national kidney foundation because of this receptor fun fact something you maybe you didn't know kidneys, heart, where's my other one? Kidneys, heart, GI tract, and this I'll have to look into, but I was gonna go down the rabbit hole if I did too soon, testicles. There are ACE2 receptors in testicles. Why, I don't know. So in 2020, there was a case, not a case review, but an article, and I put that in my works cited, all about the, how having this ACE2 receptor in the testicles could potentially make it so that men who contracted COVID had fertility concerns later. Okay. So that's what that article was about. An article in 2021, also in my work cited, actually looked at 415 COVID-19 patients. They looked at men who had died with coronavirus Various ages, think 40 to to 80, somewhere around there. They looked at their testicles and they looked under the microscope and they found not only was there SARS-CoV-2 in the testicles, but there was almost a complete germ cell loss. What's a germ cell? Sperm. There was a complete sperm loss. COVID was there. Again, correlation causation, likely because of COVID. So as far as men are concerned, yeah, there's no long-term studies on how the vaccines affect fertility for men, but there is quite a bit of alarming evidence that COVID itself is going to affect fertility in men. I will leave it at that. Draw your conclusions as you will. Okay. Women again, there are no long-term studies suggesting it affects fertility. There are no long-term studies suggesting that it doesn't. There are hints. So I did find one study also in my work cited. It took place at a fertility clinic. Oh, how perfect. (laughs) And they looked at women. It was a very small sample size. And we'll talk about that later. But when we have a small sample size, it's not reflective of the population as a whole, right? Because that fertility clinic could have existed in a white middle-class suburbia. It could have existed in Seattle. It could have existed in a ho-dunk New York town with corn fields, right? So it may not be reflective, it's not going to be reflective as of the population as a whole little segue here. Another reason not to fear the vaccine. It's literally the most studied vaccine we have ever had in human history and the most humans getting a vaccine at once. So the data that you're seeing, if evidence-based, again, I'll cover that, is very close to our population as a whole, reflective of our population as a whole. Okay. So anyways, this study was done in a fertility clinic. The subject size was 45, so very small. What was really cool is that all of the women did not have the vaccine, and then they studied the women who chose to get the vaccine versus not. So the women themselves were actually their own self-control. Remember, we need an experimental group and a control group right? to say this was the difference. So they actually served as their own control, which is very helpful because there's a lot of things that we cannot control when we study humans. Happy to go into that further if you need to. And they found that those who were able to conceive or produce embryos, right? So there was different levels of what they considered fertility. Again, this article is in my work cited. Was actually no different post-vaccine versus pre-vaccine the number of failed attempts to conceive, to produce embryos was no different in those who received the vaccine and those who didn't. Again, very small sample size, and that's what I was able to find. But there's also no studies, very limited study, I haven't actually found any. If you find one, please please put it in the comments so then I can read it as well. To suggest that that does impact fertility. We'll talk about soon experience versus evidence. All right. Fertility. Check. Look at that. I did that in 10 minutes. Go me. All right. What's next here? Microchipping. Let's have a talk, guys. I did put a source for microchipping is my one not evidence-based source. It was from the Atlantic, but I thought it had very thought-provoking questions, which may make you realize if you are concerned that there's microchips, make you think about that twice. Put the critical thinking cap on. How big are microchips? The current 5G chips are the size of a penny. The current needles required to inject the vaccines are larger than a penny. The vaccine requires it be injected intermuscularly, which means through your skin, through the fat, into your muscle, and into your bloodstream. I don't think microchips work if they're not at the surface. If they were to do microchips, if they happen to be small enough to fit through needles, Keep in mind that when they are giving you these vaccines, they are pre-drawing from a vial. Each vial can inject, vaccinate six individuals. The injections are not pre-filled syringes. So that makes it harder to draw up microchips. I think this, this guy in this article did the math. In order to have 95% certainty, that you would be drawing up a microchip, you would need 26 microchips in one vial. That just doesn't seem efficient. And then also seems very expensive, especially when they're already tracking us with their phones and easy passes. And let's see what else. Oh yeah, and then the great thing was, the, the one thing he pointed out is, how is it going to stay powered in your body? And how is it going to be maintained? Just some thoughts for reflection. All right, herd immunity. I really wish they didn't use herd immunity. It makes it sound like cows and sheep, which is a very common reference for those who are following evidence-based medicine. A better word for it, and a lot of virologists, infectious disease folks, prefer community immunity, which I think I like that too. I actually read a book, highly recommend it, for those who wanna learn more about the history of vaccinations and risk versus benefit. Uh, It's called On Immunity Inoculation. Highly recommend it. She talks about maybe calling it hive immunity because bees help each other out rather than herd immunity. So what is herd immunity? Let's call it community immunity because that sounds wonderful. That is when enough of the population has immunity against a certain disease to protect those who do not have the immunity. It differs at the percentage. Differs from disease to disease, so certain things, and I, I I believe like polio needs seventy percent herd immunity, like I might be making this stuff up, so don't quote me on this. Whereas MMR or (laughs) measles mumps, (laughs) sorry, as he's getting his MMR next next visit, he got his polio today. He had his nine month checkup. That one requires more 80, 85% herd immunity. And the moment that that herd immunity dips down, I mean, do you guys remember when there was a lot of parents who decided not to vaccinate their children and then there were breakouts of mumps? That's what happens when we don't have herd immunity. So we have not reached herd immunity yet for COVID. We're getting closer. Why do we want it? It's protecting those who are the most vulnerable, those who can't get it your grandparents that have cancer, your children who are not old enough yet to receive, and when it comes to COVID, receive the vaccine. The immunocompromised folks, that's who we're protecting. Our elderly folks who can't get it. Again, our children, I can't emphasize that enough, our children. Okay, COVID itself, why we need boosters. Okay, so viruses, they need to mutate faster than rabbits, not mutate, they reproduce faster than rabbits. And if you can remember back in high school biology, the more you replicate, the more chances for a mutation in your genetic code. Viruses mutate really quickly because they're replicating very quickly, which is why we're seeing so many variants pop up. And it's important for us to achieve the community immunity so that it makes those variants less likely. But right now we're battling Delta, and I just read, I don't have this in my work cited, there's a new one that came out in Africa called C12, and that one is twice as contagious as any of the other variants. So we're looking at that coming down the rain. Yeah, and Delta variant. Thank you, Shannon. So we really are harboring to get community immunity before that, the fastest way to do it and the safest way to do it right now, and we'll talk about risk versus benefit, it's not without risk, I'm with you there, is getting vaccinated, getting most of us, the ones who can get vaccinated, getting us vaccinated. The longer we wait for natural community immunity, the more likely more variants are gonna come up. I don't know if I said that, but it was worth saying again. The longer we wait, the more lives are impacted And the more lives lost. I looked up just the other day. I think you can look it up just by Googling it. Four and a half million deaths worldwide. And I think the weekly average right now is 7,000. That's some people's complete Instagram followers. Not mine. Okay. Understood. So when it comes to getting the vaccine, if you're young, yeah, you might not be affected by it. You might get it asymptomatically, but you're a carrier for it. And their ripple effect that you're going to have, it's life or death. It could be life or death for immunity. All right. Okay. Let's talk about evidence versus experience. I've been finding, and first of all, give yourself some grace, give yourself some forgiveness. Our brains have not caught up to our brains, our biases, how our minds operate, have not caught up to modern day, right? So we are still very much tribal, instinctual that way. So if you were a caveman way back when and your friend Larry ate these berries and then kicked the bucket, let's say he ate a red berry and then he kicked the bucket and it was not fun to watch. You are probably gonna stay away from all red berries. That does not mean all red berries are going to kill you, right? But you're trying to protect yourself because you need to survive. Basic biological drive. Let's equate that with what's going on right now. This vaccine is not without side effects. It is not without risks. I am not here to tell you it is perfect. It is not it's pretty close to perfect based on what the technology we have available is, but it is not perfect. You really have to take our critical thinking minds. We have to realize that we have biases and think bigger picture, right? So there is, there is risk of myocardial infections, myocarditis, pericarditis. There is seems to be a correlation with this vaccine. Correlation does not mean causation, just because one thing seems related does not mean that it is, that's what that means. Again, our minds look for evidence. A lot of the times, our minds draw evidence from our experience. So if you had a friend who had a reaction to a vaccine, you're more likely to not want that vaccine because that's the evidence you're drawing for from. But remember, the smaller the sample size, your friends, the less likely your friends are representing the diversity of the population as a whole, Okay, which is where we come in with evidence-based medicine, evidence-based decisions. And in a moment, I will go through that with you, how to find it, okay. to leave you with something to walk away with. Understanding your bias. There are lots of different biases. There are two that I've stumbled across recently that I really enjoy and it makes sense to me. So we have our heuristic bias, which means availability heuristic. People overestimate the importance of information that is available to them. So that's kind of what I was talking about, right? Your experience. A person might argue that smoking is not unhealthy because they know someone who lived to 100 and smoked three packs a day. That person likely is an outlier if we look at the population as a whole. The other thing that I think is coming often is anchoring bias. That's the bias in which you're over-reliant on the first piece of information that you have found, right? So if you're scrolling through Facebook and you see somebody have said, warning against the vaccine, I fainted right? Oh, your, your mind, this is not your fault. I'm not telling you it's your fault. Please forgive yourself. Your mind is automatically going to attach to that and think that's going to be the overriding truth compared to the broader information that we do have to keep you safe. That's your mind trying to keep you safe. That's your biological drive trying to keep you safe because Larry died eating a red berry. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, I thought those biases were cool. I guess there's like 20 of them, which is neat. So if anybody's interested in those, that was just a thing I found on Instagram. So not evidence-based, but I'm sure if I looked a little harder, I could find something similar in the psychology journals. Okay. How are we doing on time? Right on time. Go me. Okay. So Angelica, I'm scrolling through Instagram. I'm scrolling through Facebook. There's news articles. How do I know what to believe and not to believe? So my rule of thumb is following the instructions that I had in undergrad when it came to researching and research papers. If I could not use it in a research paper, then I will not use it to obtain my own information. Okay. All right. Here are my rules. Dot coms are not a reliable resource. They would not hold up on your research paper. .orgs, I was taught you could, but technically my first website was a .org and I could read whatever the hell I wanted on it. So I am dot .orgs, okay? Unless it's a medical school. So like Yale is a .org. That is reliable. Okay, so let's see here. Here's a great example. A friend of mine posted a tragedy vaccine story or reposted a tragedy vaccine story. And I went to that person's page and I read that story and there was no link to where she got it from. She literally wrote that in her Facebook, no external link. I would not consider that a reputable resource if she had linked that to a case study that was written about that individual which happens. In the medical community, if you can write a case study, you are, oh God, it's awesome. So you bet your ass if we've got the time, which most of us don't anymore. Thank you, COVID. I'm saying us. I'm at home with Ezzy, so I am not on the front lines, but my friends who are on the front lines are fucking exhausted. Excuse my French. So that would not be a reliable resource. There are graphics out there that are quoting Scientific articles, I saw one that was anti-masking, quoting scientific articles, suggesting that masks don't do anything. Read those scientific articles, try to find them. How do I find them? Google Scholar is great. All you have to do is type in Google, Google Scholar. Most of that stuff is evidence-based or coming from a medical school, something like that that you can trust. Google Scholar is awesome. Be weary of podcasts, be weary of videos, be weary of documentaries that don't cite their sources. They could very well be doctors, they could very well have a history working in medicine, but if they're not citing their sources, they could very well be making shit up. So I had a lot of people send me podcasts and videos without work cited, and i'm not going to <laughs> i'm not going to watch something for an hour if somebody is citing made-up sources because i listened to one podcast and most of what they were saying was spinning scientific truth to meet their agenda okay if you find a scientific article and you can't you don't know how to understand it send it to me read past the title first off read past the title that's a mistake i made the other day read past the title And read past the introduction. Read past the abstract. Read past the discussion. Read it all. And if you don't understand something, ask somebody you trust. I'll volunteer. If I have time, I'll read it. I'll let you know what the shortcomings are, if it's a really good representation of the public or not. Okay, guys. Wrapping up. I don't villainize anybody who's questioning any medical technology. I think it is important that you do do your own research. I think it's important to have your hesitancies with something new. I think it's important to have your medical freedom. That being said, I'm giving you education on how to find your own resources, how to vet them, and how to determine whether or not what you're receiving is experience-based or evidence-based so that you can make not only the best decision for you, but for our community as a whole. I was a little bit livened up today. I'm very passionate about this. I do get very angry and people share resources that aren't evidence-based. It is risk versus benefit. Right now, the risks of contracting COVID, if you ask me, are vastly greater than the risks of receiving the vaccines. For most people, if you are immunocompromised, the risk of receiving vaccine is higher. And sometimes we don't know the risk. Sometimes we just have to take a risk. It's a risk getting in your own damn car every day. It's a risk hopping on an airplane to go on your vacation. For me, it's a risk to get on an amusement park ride. I said it earlier, I was in an amusement park accident. I respect risk. What I don't respect is passing around experience-based information and claiming it as truth. I'm not discounting anybody's experience your experience is valid. I'm not saying that you're making your experience up. I'm saying your experience is not reflective of the population as a whole. When it comes to making decisions during a worldwide pandemic in which we have lost four and a half million of our brothers and sisters, we really need to look at the bigger picture. We need to look at the population as a whole. This should have been a Ted talk. I am all fired up. I'm also quite proud of myself. This was not easy to do. I will be happy to shift any shares that I had today as evidence continues to pile up. And yeah, know that I'm with you all. And I love all of you too.